I'm so glad to be home. What's happened to this church? Two, two weeks away. And I, I, were you telling me that this is the um, language of heaven? Um, and we have to learn it for sure. Well, this really uh, fits the scripture reading that we have today. Because the gospel goes across cultures, across languages, and unites in the person of Jesus. And we're going to read perhaps the first place that we really see how clearly this is to be communicated to our world. So our scripture reading today is Acts 17, beginning with verse 16, reading through verse 34, a time when Paul unexpectedly, I mean Paul, not to God, found himself in Athens, Greece. So let us listen because this is the word of God. While Paul was waiting for his colleagues, that's uh, uh, Silas and Timothy, in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Uh, Some of them asked, Who is this babbler and what is he trying to say? Uh, Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth and be marked out in their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. 
when they heard about this resurrection from the dead. Some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. And this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, I, I do want to speak to you about different cultures that we encounter in our world. And knowing that I'm here in Pasadena and we have sociologists and anthropologists and missiologists who have these complex definitions of culture, I have to give you a very simple um, pastor-type definition to tell you what I want to talk to you about. By culture or cultures, what I mean are those traits, those characteristics that distinguish one group from another. And I've written a little bit about that for you here. You see, it's, sometimes it's our behaviors, the way we act, sometimes the perspectives, how, how we see the world, the values, the things that are important to us. And very often it's the beliefs, especially the beliefs about God, that a particular group, it'll just be passed down to you. Uh, you've heard it your whole life. You picked it up in your home. You picked it up in your church. It becomes a part of a culture. And that culture can be a social group. It can be an ethnic group. It can be a national group. It can be a religion too. It can be an age group. So that we have youth culture and we have baby boomer culture and so forth. Now, now what culture does is, is that it distinguishes one group from another. And on one side, it's beautiful because it gives you the breadth and diversity of the world that God has made with all the different cultures. On the other side, it separates people. Uh, so, so that sometimes it's really hard to go from one culture to another. This morning, if you're just visiting Lake Avenue Church, you come into our church culture and you may say, well, that sure is strange. I even thought that just a little bit myself <laughs> today. But that you have to try to understand what's happening in that place. I'll, I'll just give you one example. Now, um, I grew up in a small rural town in Appalachian um, uh, mountain area of Western... Yes, does it scare you here in sophisticated Southern California? You have a hillbilly for a pastor. Okay. So th there in my little town, uh, we, we mostly got to know one another and that affected culture and it affected one part of culture was the way we drive our cars. So that my dad taught me how to drive a car. And so I learned to drive the car the way my dad dro drove a car. And one of the things that's a part of the way that in Bluefield, West Virginia, we would drive a car is if we had two lanes going in, in the same direction, if, I am, uh, um, if I'm behind and there's a car in front of me and I see that car in front of me put on the blinker, what I do is that I respect that person enough, I slow down and let the driver in, let the car in. I mean, my dad always did that. So I learned to do that. And then I went to Chicago. You know where I'm going with it, don't you? I remember the first time that I drove on the Eisenhower Freeway in Chicago. And I was there. It was a longtime Chicagoan who was with me sitting in the passenger seat. So, so I was dri driving the car and I wanted to get into the, the next lane. And I looked in the rearview mirror and I, and I saw uh, a taxi cab there. And I, I put on my blinker and I started pulling over. And the next thing I heard was him blaring his horn. He wasn't going to stop. I had to get back into my lane. And as he went past, he was waving his fist and yelling something, maybe like, 
um, you're not from these parts, are you? Or, uh, something like, like that. And, my, and, and then what happened is all the cars behind him crowded up onto his bumper so that when my blinker was on, there's no way I could even get over. My, my Chicago friend was just shaking his head. He said, you've got to learn to drive like we do out here or you're going to cause un, untold accidents. Here's the way we have to do it. If you're going to switch lanes here in Chicago, first you begin pulling into the lane, and then you put on the blinker. You say, this is just one of those pieces. And of course, years later, I would go to places like England where you drive on the other side of the road. It's, it's a whole world of difference. Now that point, as you know, within a culture, is just driving us just one small little part of the culture. And even that can divide us. So you can imagine with all the many different parts of culture, uh, the way people gesture is different, the words people use, that's different, all sorts of things are so different. You can see why it is that sometimes cultures um, divide people. And and it's hard to have cultural understanding. And, And I think many, many of the conflicts we have around our world are caused by these cultural misunderstandings. It's not the only thing, but I'm sure that with all the problems that we're praying about in the Middle East, that a part of it is, has to do with cultural differences, or with Ukraine and, and Russia. A part of it is, is cultural differences. Well, let me tell you, um, a part of what has brought about all those cultural differences, and, and Paul even gets to it a little bit in his sermon, is, was that sin came into the world and that divided people. Divided us from God and divided people from one another. And eventually a time came, if you don't know the Bible, there was a Tower of Babel that all people were trying to build to compete with God. They didn't want to seek God. And so they were divided into different language groups. So in some ways that division comes about because of sin. But God says he loves all people. And the Bible tells us from the Old Testament all the way through to the end that God has a plan of reconciling people to himself and to one another. That those walls that tear people down are going to come down. And God's eternal plan, that's the way that Paul puts it in the book of Ephesians, is not just that God is going to bring about a bit of greater cultural understanding. No, he has something much bigger he's going to do. He is going to bring people from every culture, every language, every nation into one family. The book of Ephesians looks at this and he says, someday the day is going to come when all people will bow the knee before one Father in heaven. And, and the church, a local church in a community like ours, is to be a place that just reflects to the world that reconciling unifying work of God. So that's been God's eternal plan. And it's going to be beautiful when we see it in Revelation 21 and 22. But still, in our time right now, with all the cultural differences and language differences, there's, there's really this issue of how do we communicate that message across all these cultural differences. And that brings us to Acts chapter 17. You see, up, up to this point, uh, Paul had been spending time mostly with people who believe things about God just like he believed. But now he walks into Athens, and it's very, very different. Now, Athens. Uh, We have a lot of Greeks. I found out this weekend, a lot of Greeks in our church, so I'd better be careful here. Um, Greek people always viewed themselves as being the center of the world. And, okay, that's fine. Greek people believe that. Uh, But in, in the first century world, that was pretty much true. It was the educational center of the world. It was the cultural center of the world. Uh, it was, uh, it was the uh, philosophy center of the world. It was the home of Socrates and Plato, the, uh, the adopted home of, of, of people like uh, Epicurus and Zeno. Uh, it was an ongoing 
philosophical and religious debate happened there. And on one day, uh, the Apostle Paul happened to be there. Now, here's the point that I want to make. Up until he got there to, um, to Athens, Greece, largely he had been telling uh, people who believed the same thing he believed about God, he would tell them about Jesus. They were almost all what we call monotheists. And if you believe in Jesus, that's what you are. That you believe that there is one God, maker of everything. Now you may say, but that's not really true, is it? That this is the first time that he meets different kinds of people. I say, well, yes it is. Because even though from uh, Acts 11 on, uh, the gospel had been coming to Gentiles, non-Jewish people, the Gentiles who came to know uh, Jesus were almost all what were called God-fearers. In the text I read today, I don't know if that hits you as unusual. There were God-fearing Greeks he kept talking about. What God-fearers were was this. They denied, they just couldn't believe what their culture was telling them was that there were, were many gods. And they had, God-fearers had come to believe that there was one God. And they were trying to come to know who the God was. And many of them came to the synagogue to try to learn about this one God. So almost always when the Apostle Paul would go to different cities, he would go to the synagogue first, tell them about Jesus, and there would be Jewish people and God-fearing Greeks, there were Gentiles, who were there. Now, now in Acts 17, you can read it if you have your Bible in front of you. The first ten verses, he went to the city of Thessalonica, and he went to the synagogue, and there were the God-fearing Gentiles who were there. So what does he do? He says, there is one God, this is his word, they already believed that. Uh, he said, let me tell you, God gave prophecies to our prophets telling us that he's sending a Messiah, a Savior for the world. And look, Jesus, when he came, he fulfilled all those prophecies. And, and there in Thessalonica, you, you can read it, I think it's in verse 4, it says, many believed. And, and then he went on to Berea, and once again, he went in and was with people who believed that there was one God, monotheists. And so he went into the synagogue, he, he opened up the scriptures, it says, and this is what Pastor Jeff Leo talked about last week. And then when he told them about Jesus, again, in verse 12, many of them believed. Now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't controversy. Because especially among many of the Jewish people, they became very upset, especially when their children, I imagine, became followers of this Jesus as Messiah. And so they wanted to end Paul's ministry, and so they ran him out of cities. And that's what led him to be in Athens one day. It seemed so coincidental, just, just random. Uh, he wanted to go somewhere else, but he ends up being in Athens, Greece, the cultural center of the world. Now, what would you do if you went there? Would you say, this is a wasted day, I wanted to go somewhere else? Would you say, hey, this is a good time for vacation, I've been working really hard. Would you say, this is a good time for tourism, let me w walk around this place and see it. What, what would you do? Well, what did the Apostle Paul do? You already know what he did. Where's a synagogue around here? <laughs> so he went into the synagogue. He found some Jewish people who believed they were monotheists, one God, and the God-fearers. And I'm sure he did what he always does, open up the scriptures and talk with them. But the Jewish people and the God-fearers made up a small minority of the people in Athens, Greece. So, so we read that Paul went out into the marketplace. And there he met many other kinds of people. Now again, you're with me. You've got to know what the uh, Greek marketplace was like. When, when I, even, here's a cultural thing. When I talk about a marketplace here in the United States, what do we, we think of shopping, don't we? Well, it's much bigger than that. Uh, they did have shopping there. But it, I'll tell you, it was the center of their cultural life. You would go to the marketplace, the Agora it was called. You would go to the Agora, and there you would receive your daily news. 
because they didn't have newspapers back then. And believe it or not, you may not believe this, they didn't have the Internet either. So there'd be heralds right there in the Agora and they would say, this is what's happening in the world today. Then there would be groups of people all around the marketplace uh, having different philosophies and different religions and trying to call you over and argue their positions and to listen to your positions. And, and there was also food that was there and there were also acts and entertainment that was going. It was alive. It, it's hard to talk about this because we don't have many places like this in the United States. I think largely because we don't talk to people different from ourselves very much. Maybe a coffee shop, do you think? Kind of, kind of maybe a workout place? I don't know. Well, I was asking about this, and um, my good friend Jamie Rankin, who played the piano and, and, and wrote the melody for the song I sang, said, you know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like a few years ago when I, and he's a professor at Princeton University, and he went to visit the language de- department at UC Berkeley. So as he was going in there and he walked through, I think it's called Sathersgate, Berkeley grads you'd know, into Sprawl um, Plaza or Sprawl Hall, he said, that, that looked like the Agora in Athens. So I'll show you the, the, the Agora. And, oh, you already have it up there. You guys were way ahead of me. There's UC Berkeley. I've been in the Agora now and it's just ruins. And, and that's not what it's like. But here, as you look at that, if, if you go through Sathersgate here, and, and our uh, Berkeley students came up after the first service and said, yes, that's exa- exactly what it's like. If you go in there as a student, there will be all the student groups trying to recruit you to the things that they are doing. Uh, th- there will be different ideological and political uh, groups. Uh, there will probably be Campus Crusade and other groups there talking uh, away as well. There will be entertainment going on. There, there is food that is there. And I'll tell you, if there's a good protest, and I've heard there's once or twice been one of those at Berkeley, it's going to happen there. So that's what I want you to picture. I mean, it is a lot. Uh, and so Paul goes walking into that. And I'll tell you, at that point, he encounters people who are different from the people he met in the synagogue, in the way they looked at the world and in the way they looked at God. It would be so comparable to a, to a student who's grown up um, in a Christian home and has been at Lake Avenue Church his or her whole life and maybe went to Maranatha, a Christian high school. You'd be with people who looked at the world, looked at God in the same way, and then you'd show up at Cal Berkeley or you go to UCLA or to a state school someplace. What Paul encountered were people who looked at the world different from the way that he'd ever encountered it. And that's, that's what we often have to do now. I think you're in Southern California. That's becoming more and more of our calling. We have so many people from so many cultures coming in that what we find is people have all sorts of ideas about what is right and wrong, about what the world is like, and about what God is like. So what does the Apostle Paul do as he goes there into the, uh, to, to that place? He first encounters polytheists. The majority of people in Athens, Greece, would have believed in many gods. There, there was one section of the marketplace that just had all these carvings and statues of all these gods that they were trying to sell. So he would have encountered that as well. There was also towering above the marketplace, the Parthenon, and I have a picture of that as well that I want to show you. If you've ever been to Greece, you've seen this, and this is a current picture, an evening picture. It is so impressive. It towers over the city. It's beautiful, really. But what that was was a temple, and, and their magic took place, and other gods were worshipped, and prostitution was a part of it, and it was surrounded by all of these golden statues. I have one of those here as well that I want you to see. There it is. Just these huge statues that were there. He saw all of that. So he talked with polytheists about that. And as he was talking to them, trying to understand how they looked at the world, 
Then he had these two philosophical groups come up, the Bible tells us, Epicureans and Stoics. Now you're with me, I've got to tell you something about these two groups. Um, the Epicureans uh, were not atheists. There were very few, if any, atheists in Greece at the time. Just like we don't, mostly Southern Californians are spiritual people. So, so the Epicureans believed that there were some sorts of gods out there. They just thought that the gods are out there and didn't care about what happens in this world. They were what we call deists. There is a God, but he's far away. And especially the Epicureans said that he doesn't care about your moral decisions and how you live. They would say you're set free from that. That'll only make you feel guilty. You don't have to be afraid of what the gods expect of you. You have to pursue happiness and pleasure yourself. I'm just telling you. I think we'd have a lot of people following the Epicureans here in Southern California. Does anybody... Nobody agrees with me? I just think that, that, that that's a basic way that so many people think. Yeah, there is some sort of spirituality, there's some sort of God, but it doesn't, it doesn't impinge upon how I pursue happiness or how I live. Then the Stoics came. And they also believed in God, but in a very different way. They, believed, they were pantheists. Everything is God, and I'm a part of God. And so what they were trying to teach is, as we live in this world where we're a part of everything that is, we shouldn't fight against it. We have to resign ourselves to the way things is and find our contentment by simply accepting what happens. Then you'll be able to... They're very much like philosophical Buddhists are in our day. We find peace by acceptance of the way that things are. So the Apostle Paul comes in and he begins talking about God. And what happens? Well, you can read about it there. There's all sorts of misunderstanding. Some of them call him names. This guy is a babbler, they said. And that really means he's, he's a seed picker. He just gets all these ideas from all over the places and just jams them into to one thing. And, and some of it, it says he was, they were even confused about this good news because he talked about Jesus and the resurrection. And, you know, the word resurrection was a word for one of their goddesses, Anastasis. So some of them seem to think, look, what's he t- he's talking about some new sort of idea where Jesus is the male god and, and, and Anastasis is the female god. We've got to listen to this thing. So they were confused, they called him names, but I want you to see that Paul didn't give up. The Bible tells us day after day after day, he kept going in and sitting down, talking with them, listening to them, and I think he learned a lot. I think the apostle learned how they thought, what they valued, where they hurt, what they thought about God. And as he did that, it seems like he gained enough respect in developing relationship and listening and talking that they invited him to one of the greatest opportunities we find in the entire Bible. He got to go to the Areopagus. Come on over here. We want everyone to hear about this. We don't quite understand what you mean. Now, the Areopagus, it, it, it's used in two ways. It's used of a, a rock, and I've been there, a rock that, that a speaker would stand on. But the Areopagus was also this council of respected people in Athens. They came from all the different groups and these respected people would listen to these viewpoints and then all the rest of the people of the city would be around listening to what the speaker said to the council. I I just tell you this because do you see what an incredible opportunity this was to tell about Jesus, uh, to uh, to evangelize. Now, Now we have three longer sermons of Paul's recorded by Luke in the book of Acts. This one is very, very different from the other two. Some scholars even try to say, well, Paul probably didn't really say this. They made it up because it's not the way that Paul spoke to other people. I'm just telling you this. 
He was speaking to a different culture. It was a different kind of people. He had to start in a different way. And I think you and I, as God has put us here where he has put us here in Southern California, can learn so much from the way he approached bringing the good news of God to a people who didn't know much about God. What do we learn? So many things, but our time goes so fast that I can only give you a few. So think about these. Think about these as God calls you to be his witness and his evangelist. Number one, I think from Paul we learned this, that when we talk about God in our world, we first must know God personally ourselves. Now, um, you can't understand Acts 17 unless you realize that uh, in the book of Acts, two times, Acts 9 and Acts 26, almost in exactly the same way, we are given the testimony of how Paul personally met God through faith in Jesus. So, so the point I'm making is this, that for Paul, talking about this is not just a religious exercise. It wasn't just philosophizing. It wasn't just intellectual kind of debate. It was a personal relationship with God that he had. He had met him. He knew him as his father. He knew so much of what God is like. And you see how that changes this whole thing. So that when he talked with the Stoics who said, uh, we're all a part of God, he thought, no, 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 God broke into my life. God is distinct from me. Uh, when, when he talked to the Epicureans who said, well, yeah, there's a God, but, but he's distant from the world. He said, no, 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 God broke into my life. God knows me. And I'm just telling you today, God knows you. God knows you. And he loves you with an everlasting love. You see, that personal relationship with God, changed the way that he talked with people. He wasn't just arguing with people. He was trying to introduce them to somebody he knew. When he talked with the many polytheists, he knew that there's no way that those things that they had carved was the God who had made them. And so I guess the first thing that comes to us personally this morning is this. Do you know God personally? Have you met him personally? I know this. I've been in church too long to know otherwise that it's so possible that, that you have come to church and been to church many, many times and, and really believe that there's a God like the God fears. You know that there's a God, but you haven't really met Him personally. So that whenever you hear people in the world talk about God, it's not a personal kind of thing where you say, well, I know Him, let me tell you about Him. But almost, I look down here at Jeff Matisich, you coming to me and saying, this is what Jeff is like and this is what Jeff is like, but I know Jeff. And sometimes I say, no, that, that's not the man that I know. Do you, do you know what I'm getting at here? When you know somebody, you talk about them in a personal and different way. And so I, I come to you and tell you that when you bring Jesus into your life and really surrender by faith your sin and all you are to him, the word that Jesus says is he, he makes it so that we are born again. That's his word, which means we come alive to a reality that we didn't know before. When we're born physically, we're alive to this physical, material world. When we're born through faith in Jesus, we're born spiritually alive to God. You come to know God as your Father. And if you've never met Him, I ask you today to give your life and simply say, here I am, Lord, I don't quite understand it, but I want to follow Jesus. And Jesus promises He'll make you alive to the God who made the universe. So that's where it starts. Better keep going. Number two, when you've met this God then it also changes the way that you look at people because the Bible, God tells us that he's made people, all people from every culture in his image. And that means, number two, from Paul we learn that then we must deal with people personally and respectfully. 
Now, I really want you to listen to me right now because one of the most troubling parts of our culture is that we are such a polarized culture. If we don't agree with somebody's politics or religion, we don't go and sit down and talk with them. We just talk at people. The, the ads about things about politics are just telling us all the rotten things about this other person. We don't engage in this way that, that Paul did with him. Notice again, he went in and he discussed he, he interacted, the word dialogued is the word that's used, with him day after day after day. That word for dialogue, reasoned with, I think in some of our versions it's translated, reasoned with was a precious word to the people in Athens, Greece. It's the word for the way that Socrates had always talked to people. Uh, lawyers who are here, it's even called the Socratic method. Uh, and, and what you do in the Socratic method is you don't just talk at people, you pose a question. And then you listen to the response and, and you give a response and you pose a question. And you talk back and forth until greater understanding develops. That's what Paul did day after day after day until it won him a hearing. Come in here and talk to us all about this new teaching. We want to hear more about it. Now, now this sort of relationship building takes time. I know that. But it's consistent with the life of Jesus himself who actually came and spent time with people. Entered in. It, it's so consistent with what Paul teaches us to do right here. Followers of Jesus, it's not easy <laughs> to sit down and talk about God with people who don't want to hear about Him. But that's what God's called us to do and to respect people and not give up on people. Uh, Jason Emmanuel Petty, do you know that name? He's better known as Propaganda. He's a spoken word artist and poet from, from L.A. I think he lives out in Covina now. In one of his spoken word poems, he calls us to do just what Paul did, just what Jesus did. He reminds us that Jesus enters into our own lives. Now, he was a hip-hop artist, and your pastor isn't, as you know. But I still want to read you a part of his poems because I found it to be so powerful. And from his poem, Justice and the Gospel, this is what he says. You can have a heart that breaks for a dying city, yet have nothing to offer them. Wait, he says. There's the problem. Them. There is no them. Them is us. Culture is you. It's me. We're our city. We're the culture. So we too are the problem. And our Savior, he wasn't a commuter. He moved in. He spoke the language of the broken. He, he spoke our language the culture is us, it's you, we're participants. So how could we possibly be the solution? We need someone to move in. And our Savior moved in. This is your city. He came and He walked the streets of your soul. And you in the same vein must move in. You go. You pray that the gospel prospers, because if it prospers, you will too. I think that's, that's powerful. And it's a real call to you and me to, to respect people that, that we disagree with and to not give up on people and, and to know that people are made in God's image and to go and be willing to engage and, and, and to tell, understand how people think, to understand how people hurt. And when you know God... You really know that the God we meet through Jesus is the one.
that they have been made to know. Amen? Which brings me to the third point. Where do we start? Sometimes when we start with, with people who think different things about God, we have to begin with a simple message about who God is. You know that's how God began the Bible? <laughs> uh, there is a God. I am God. Here I am. And this is what I'm like. So sometimes we have to start right where God started. Uh, standing there before the intellectual leaders and all the people at Mars Hill, at, at the, um, um, uh, there in the Agora. Here's, here's the way I picture it. Uh, Paul could look around the marketplace and he could see that section with all of those gods carved over there. In fact, I have a picture of it. From Mars Hill, you could look up. From there, you see the Parthenon. I, I just imagine him looking up there and seeing that Parthenon, seeing those statues all around it. And he turns to them and he says, People of Athens, uh, I can see from all of this that you know that there's more in this world than just the main, mundane things that you live for. I can see that you're very religious people. Uh, but but uh, you don't even know the God that you want to worship because you have this one statue. The, the, the inscription says, An unknown God, here's what I'm here to do. I'm here to tell you about the God that you've been made to worship and that you do not yet know. And so he launches in simply to talk about God. And here's what he said, something like this. You can read it. The God uh, who is, is the God who made everything. And let me tell you this. He doesn't live in that building called the Parthenon. He made everything that's in that building. And, and, and he, you aren't a part of him because he made you. In fact, your own poets say that you are his offspring. You are his offspring. Our way of putting it, you and I are made in the image of God. We are made for God. And God doesn't need you to do all these things you're doing to try to appease Him with all of this stuff that's a part of this temple worship. You need Him. Now, now in the past, He's allowed all of this kind of worship of other things to go on, but now He has broken into this world and He has made Himself known. We have come to a time where the God who has created everything calls all people everywhere to repent of sin, to repent of, of putting other things in His place and worshiping other gods and to believe Him. Uh, so I'll just start there. You can read it. His sermon is much better than what I gave to you just now. That sometimes I think we here in Southern California must learn to pull all the way back as we talk with people. And as people talk about being spiritual... Respect that. And as people have notions of God who are somehow here to serve what we want, uh, respect it, listen. And then, then we have this opportunity and responsibility, uh, especially if we've met Him, to expand their idea of the greatness, the goodness, and the beauty of God. Sometimes I think we learn from Paul that we have to pull back and simply learn to talk about the God that we have met. Then fourth, finally. I really think we must find the courage to do what Paul did. To then call people to know God through faith in the resurrected Jesus. Now, when I read this sermon again, there was a question. Maybe it's because I hear it all the time. There's a question that was begging to be asked. Paul, with all these gods around here, all these religions, what on earth makes you think that this God you believe in is the one God over all? 
Didn't you think of that? It's a question that we're asked too. You can go ahead and believe what you want, but who are you to tell us that, that uh, there's just one God over all gods? And, and Paul's answer, early on, verse 18, and again at the end of the sermon, is because of Jesus and the resurrection. Jesus and the resurrection. I, I often wonder, why is it that wherever Paul went, whatever culture he addressed, that's what he talked about, the person of Jesus, who he was, what he did, and the resurrection. Uh, Why is that the thing that draws all cultures together? Jesus and the resurrection. And I can only think of of, of a couple of reasons. Uh, One I learned as I listened to Tim Keller. And that is, Christian faith is not a technique that we're supposed to do, but it is good news that's to be believed. See, the Christian faith is different from other religions. Uh, In other religions, there are religious techniques we're supposed to engage in, religious philosophy that we have to learn. But the Christian faith is that God came. It's something that happened in history. God came into this world. Nobody else did it. It's the person of Jesus. Uh, And we know because the greatest enemy that this world has, he embraced it, he experienced it, and defeated it through a resurrection. So there's no way we can speak about what we believe unless we come back to Jesus. And brothers and sisters, this is the one thing that we're often afraid to talk about. We have to find the the courage to tell people about the Jesus who gave his life for us and who is the Lord of our lives and the Lord of this church. Now the other reason why I think that Jesus and the resurrection is the thing that he proclaimed to every culture is because every culture at any time in history and in every place in the world is a dying culture. No matter where you live, no matter what you believe, people die. And it's devastating. We live in a deteriorating world, don't we? So the Maple Street building, an incredibly well-built building, deteriorated. Just not going to last forever. Uh, Beautiful plants and flowers wither. Human beings, God's offspring, we grow old we die. I, I was looking at a picture that you guys took of me my first year here at Lake Avenue Church. <laughs> it's just discouraging. <laughs> and I just thought that that's the way it is. That, that's what happens to us. And it doesn't just happen here, it happens everywhere. And it's hopeless. It means everything that people live for in this world. When death comes, it's taken away. We live in a dying world. And Jesus came. He he encountered death himself. And he turned it around. How did Paul put it? Uh, in, In him, death was swallowed up in victory. Death was turned into life so that the body continues to decay. But our life can grow as we know God. Everything becomes different because Jesus came, experienced everything that you and I experience, entered into our lives, entered into our world, died and bore our sins and defeated it all through a resurrection and and promised there is hope even for a dying person in a dying world because Jesus is the resurrected Lord. Come and believe in Him. He is risen. Jesus is risen indeed. That's what He preached. And that's why we have to talk about Jesus and his resurrection to any culture, to
to any person. So people, Paul did it, and he called people to join him and to believe. And what happened? Uh, Verse 32a, some sneered. So if you've tried this and you say, it didn't work, I'm not good at it. He wasn't all that good at first either, and he just didn't give up. Because his relationship with God was real, he knew this is what people need. Some sneered, don't give up, don't become discouraged. Number two, some, second part of verse 32, is some said, we need to hear more about this. And I find that so often the case whenever you, without um, disrespecting people, really say, let me just tell you what I believe. Uh, The first thing they might do is say, you know, I need to hear more about this. Uh, But then, verse 34, I love it. Some believed. Even one of the members of the Areopagus. And um, may I tell you, if you go to Athens, Greece today, there are still followers of Jesus in Athens, Greece. And one of the things I've really learned this weekend is we have Greek followers of Jesus at Lake Avenue Church. And it all started because a man entered in to the lives of people and was willing to share what had changed his life and say it's all about Jesus and the resurrection. If you will find the courage to do that, some will believe. Some will believe. And um, God will be pleased. It's to his glory. Amen.